Father God, we now pray that you would provide uh, for us, uh, your children. We pray, Father, that uh, you would complete your agenda in each of our lives this morning, that you would change us all at least a little bit before we go. Let your spirit work among us and do a ministry directly. We are here for you, and we thank you, Lord, for being here for us in Jesus' name. What is something that you really ought to do, something that you really ought to be doing, but you're really not doing it? Does anybody have anything like that in life? It's like, yeah, yeah, I really ought to do that, but... I'm not so much getting around to doing that, I'm, or I'm doing it really haltingly or kind of half-heartedly. Does anybody have anything like that in your life? What's something that you ought to do but you're not really doing? Give me some examples. Answering questions is something that you ought to do but that you're not doing very well. What's something else? Yeah, shout them out. You, you. Don't take the bait. There's a philosophical response. You're taking the bait too often, and you ought not to do that. (laughs) I know what you mean without knowing what you mean. Regular devotions, uh, so a little time with God every day. You're not, okay, what else? Exercise. You're not, you're not, you're you're like fit. Oh, is is that what your wife said? Say no more. Yeah, for how many, how many people are like, yeah, I ought to exercise, but I'm really not doing it? Come on, be honest. New Year's resolutions are just around the corner, so you can raise your hand proudly. It's okay. Yeah. Um, we, all, we all have these things in our life, things that we ought to do, uh, but we just don't really do them uh, in, in a regular sort of way. And the reason you're not doing those things in your life, which you know you should, but you're not doing. The reason you're not doing them uh, 80, 90% of the time is because you find them emotionally overwhelming. You find them emotionally overwhelming. Now, if I were to quiz you on it and I said, okay, why aren't you exercising? Then pretty much all of you would say, well, I'm too busy. But that's not the reason you're not exercising. The reason you're not exercising is because you find it emotionally overwhelming. It's because when you approach the idea of exercise, your feelings get sort of complicated and stormy, and so you have developed ways to not exercise. You have developed, you have developed ways that are a little uh, emotionally comforting or helpful. Uh, they help you avoid the feeling the emotional discomfort that comes upon you when you consider exercising, or whatever uh, it might be for you. Uh, we have that phrase, the elephant in the room. You know that phrase? It's like you're, you're sitting around talking with people, and there's something that you should talk about, but you've all sort of implicitly agreed to not talk about it. Anybody ever had that experience? You know, some of us have grown up in families where that's like a religion, you know? Maybe, maybe like alcoholic families where the one thing you don't talk about is dad's drinking or mom's drinking or something like that. And so it's just a permanent elephant in the room. Why are there elephants in the room? Well, because elephants are emotionally overwhelming. And so we develop a strategy of avoidance, right? Uh, and that's kind of one of the 
the worst things you can do is have an elephant in your room and to not talk about it. Or to have an elephant in the room and complain about it incessantly but not do anything about it. Everybody been there? Why do we do that? Well, because that's emotionally empowering in a way that is not emotionally overwhelming. We don't take it head on. We don't deal with it. So that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, the way that we are emotionally overwhelmed. You know, the Christmas season often brings up some of these overwhelming emotions for us. Uh, plus, uh, it's a topic that has a lot to do with how we live out purpose. Uh, so we're going to attack it today using some of the common themes uh, that we have been on uh, these past uh, 10 weeks or so. Here's my philosophy as a Christian teacher. Believe it or not, I have one. Uh, my philosophy as a Christian teacher is that I don't teach the Bible. What I do is I teach about life. I teach about the truth of life and the universe. And then I use the Bible because it is such a fantastic tool when it comes to teaching about life and the truth of the universe. Now, Jesus is the one who taught this philosophy uh, to me. Uh, I see this in the gospel stories uh, about Jesus. There were a bunch of people in his day, religious experts, who taught scripture. And they taught about doing, getting scripture right, understanding scripture correctly. You know, the Pharisees uh, uh, especially were famous for this. So they, could, they memorized uh, completely the first five books of the Bible. Uh, you had, to, you had to do that just to be part of their club. So they really knew Scripture well. That Jesus came along and he told stories that were just about life, that were just sort of earthy, they were just sort of illustrations. And people were amazed at his teaching. Um, Jesus taught about life and, and Jesus, he actually did things. He actually moved in power. And those times in the Gospels where you see Jesus quote Scripture, and frankly, there aren't too many of them in the Gospels. But when he does, it's incredibly powerful. And it brings new insight to the Scriptures that he's quoting. Why? Because he lived. Right? He wasn't just an expert. He was a live-it-out uh, sort of guy. And he revolutionized spiritual understanding. Uh, by doing that. He used scripture to make a point. He was doing it to explain something that was going on in life. I think this is the correct approach. In fact, I would sort of sum up the majority of Jesus' teachings by saying the thing he taught about was daily life. Jesus taught a lifestyle. That's what he did, right? He didn't say, here, understand some things. He didn't say, hey, agree with me. What did he say when he encountered someone who was interested? What did he say? Follow me. He said, hey, you want some of this? Do what I do. Here's a lifestyle. Get into it. And I just think that's terribly exciting. Uh, and so we're trying to build a lifestyle. We're trying to build a culture that supports that lifestyle uh, around uh, Blue Water. The vast majority of what he taught was how to live well. Not to understand things really, but actually live well. And so a big part of, of us getting through uh, this world is understanding things that help us live daily life well, by which I mean to live daily life powerfully and with a great deal of purpose and fruitfulness. I believe that God constructed the universe in such a way that life is challenging. Do you believe that too? 
Uh, I find that life is challenging uh, for almost everyone. We have to struggle. We can't see the future. We can't control all of those details uh, of life. We could endlessly be anxious. Uh, we could obsess about all the details that we cannot control. I don't think that would be a good lifestyle. And Jesus said the same thing. He said, come up with a more powerful, a more joyful way to do things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough challenge of its own. Your heavenly Father will provide for you. Stay on course. Seek first the kingdom. Prioritize. And then everything else will be added unto you. If salt loses its saltiness, if you forget your purpose and what you're about, your life becomes worthless. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Fit for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men, to be disrespected by the people around you because you forgot what you're about. All of these teachings are probably familiar to you who have studied Jesus' bank of teachings. How to get through uh, life because it's challenging. Uh, you may uh, remember uh, this little schematic uh, that we have used. Next slide. Come on. Here it comes. There it is. God has given us a BGP. What does that stand for? And you're so excited about that, I can tell. God has given us a big God-given purpose, right? What has he given us? Thanks. Uh, he has called us to be salt and light, and for all of you, you have some particular way of expressing that in your life that God has designed you for, and we've got to discover what that is, and you have to pursue it. And the way that you pursue it is you come up with plans, you come up with a vision, right? A way that you're going to go about achieving your purpose. And to, to uh, conduct your plans, to conduct your vision, you're going to need certain tools, certain skills, certain capacities, uh, to, uh, to execute your plan to achieve your purpose. Uh, and, and really to use those capacities or to stick with it through life, you're gonna have to develop virtues. Virtues like you know, love, uh, generosity are ones that we often think about. Uh, well, here's what I'm gonna say today. Uh, in your life, your most valuable tools are always your routines. The most valuable sort of tools you have in life are your routines. Your routines, and you might throw in this word, rituals, which is a special sort of routines. Your routine and your rituals are always the most important tools you have in life. We'll talk about that. And the most important virtue you have to live a powerful, impactful life is, you might call it self-discipline. But I have another way of thinking about it. Uh, discipling your emotions. You have to have discipled emotions. We've talked about that a little bit in weeks past, and I want to unpack it a little bit today. We're going to talk about routines, and we're going to talk about discipling your emotions, that feeling of emotional overwhelmedness that prevents you from being who you are in a lot of, of your days. All right, I'll do one quick warm-up. Everybody say power. power. Everybody say power. No, see, that's wrong. That's wrong. We have to say it differently. Next slide. That's better. Everybody say, power. power. Say it like you mean it. Power. Okay, now you're convincing me uh, a little bit. That's what you want. You want to be a really powerful person. Or to be a powerful person, you need? Power. All week, you slave over these things, you know. Misexecuted. 
The biggest issue uh, that you have in life is you. You are your biggest issue. Uh, in particular, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest tension in your life is whether you're going to be the empowered you or the disempowered you. That's your biggest issue. Whether you're going to be a power you or a disempowered you. You are empowered. You are living powerfully if and when you follow through massively and consistently on the things you ought to do. Identifying the things you ought to do, fairly easy. Following through massively and consistently, fairly difficult. And if you do follow through massively and consistently, you have... You are disempowered when you find ways to not follow through. And then that's the disempowered you. The difference usually lies in how we disciple our emotions. Certainly, certain things are emotionally difficult for us. We can avoid them. We can make compromises that help us manage the discomfort. Or we can develop the capacity to change our approach to these things and ultimately change our emotions themselves. We have a culture that honors emotion above all things. You can't deny your emotions. No, you cannot deny them, but you can change them. You can shape them. And a huge portion of scripture is about this, both in the Old Testament and in the Jesus teachings. You know, don't go to bed angry. Well, how can I not? I'm angry, it's midnight. Change your emotion. Shape them. Develop the capacity to do that. What do you do with your emotions in life? When you have uncomfortable ones, what do you do? Uh, the phrase, I don't feel like it. Is that a powerful phrase for you? Is that a stopper? Or is that simply something to handle? I don't feel like it. How often do you say that? And what does it mean for you? That's a great question uh, to ask yourself. Um, we, uh, we don't do we, the things we ought to do. We don't follow through because we get very emotional about situations. Time and details are often emotional triggers for us. We read them emotionally. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, you could spend 30 minutes surfing Facebook, or you could spend 30 minutes doing laundry or washing dishes or something like that. How do those things feel to you? Do they feel the same? 30 minutes is 30 minutes, right? Do they feel the same? No, they don't. And so what do we gravitate to when there's a pile of laundry to be done? Oh yeah, we go to Facebook. And, you know, we read about cats and <laughs> fails and not that I ever do that. Um, why? The difference is entirely emotional. Does it really take a lot of effort to wash dishes? Yes. No, I've, <laughs> I've, I've worked in a restaurant. I've washed dishes for like nine or ten hours straight. That takes effort. But to do the dinner dishes does not take much effort, people. It doesn't take any more effort than sitting down and surfing Facebook for 30 minutes, but it feels so different. And we will often spend an hour and a half on Facebook to psych ourselves up to wash dishes. This is what I'm talking about. We, time is an emotional construct for us. We lack objectivity where time is concerned. Details uh, work the same way. Uh, what's, what's, what's harder? Uh, driving to the gym or going into Kaimuki on a busy Friday night to get something to eat, to go to a restaurant. Which is harder? Which is harder? 
Yes, it's kind of hard to tell, isn't it? Well, I mean, technically speaking, you know, finding parking in Kaimiki and going to a restaurant and waiting for 20 minutes to be seated and all, that's actually far more complicated. But as an emotional manner, it's much more complicated for you to get to the gym and to do that exercise that you all said that you wanted to do. Why? Simply emotion. Simply emotion. Right? And then after you eat that big meal in Kaimuki, what do you say to yourself? I gotta get to the gym. I gotta get to the gym. New Year's resolutions are coming. Um, when um, the details are overwhelming, we often do things that sort of placate ourselves emotionally. Right? Uh, we surf Facebook, or we lose ourselves in some other activity, or we throw ourselves into an activity that really doesn't deserve the time that we get it in order to avoid the activity that just needs 10 quality minutes. Emotion. And this is often the battle of our daily life. Say amen if you believe me. All right, thank you. That's what I'm talking about. So discipling emotions means to bring discipline to bear in a way that, here's a phrase, puts emotions in their place. Puts emotions in their place. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you find yourself or your partner saying, but I don't feel that way. And then that kind of seems like a, a trump card. You can't say trump card anymore, can you? Dang, that's one of my favorite phrases. You know, it's a, what's a better phrase? It's a, it's a wild card. It just sort of stops. It stops, stops the play. Um, because we are trained to respect how we feel. You're making me feel bad. Well, you shouldn't feel bad, but I do feel bad. Argument, explosion. How many of you have had that? Let's, let's just do it a sense of way. How many of you unmarried people have had that experience? Yeah, sure, it's fairly common. Uh, we have to learn to put emotions in another place, and that which, that, that's what discipling emotions mean. Uh, what is the proper place of emotions? Emotions are in you in order to empower your purpose, in order to empower your life, not to disempower your life. Your emotions are in you in order to empower your life, not to disempower your life. Okay? Simple insight. If you understand it, it will probably revolutionize the way that you live. Emotions are meant to empower good things, not cause you to avoid dealing with bad things or to figure out ways not to do good things that you find difficult uh, to do. We want to feel things appropriately, right? Not to deny emotions, but to feel them appropriately. If something is sad, you grieve. Appropriate. All right? To the degree that love is an emotion, we want to love appropriately, forgivingly, generously, automatically. Right? We don't want love to become complicated with negative uh, emotion. We want to have a passion. We want to feel passion for goodness. Right? And if that were the case, then emotion would empower us. But instead, we often have difficult emotions where good things are concerned. Exercise! Whoosh, emotional fountain. Oh, that's hard. Forgiveness! For some of us, whoosh, emotional wall comes up. We want to feel appropriately. How does one go about discipling our emotions, bringing discipline to our emotions? Well, we want to, number one, be very clear on your purpose in things. 
you want to know what your BGP is, what your big God-given purpose is, we've preached a number of sermons on that recently. Uh, go back and listen to them uh, if this interests you. Um, but what I'm talking about is no matter what your activity is, no matter what your daily schedule is, find your purpose in things. What do you want to accomplish today? What do you want to accomplish uh, in whatever it is that you happen to be doing. Don't just think about what you've got to do. Think about why you're doing it. What's the purpose in doing this thing? Think about what you want to achieve. Think about what outcomes would be good to have. Why am I doing this? Everybody say that phrase, please. Why am I doing this? One of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves. Right? Uh, Jesus, from time to time, would point these uh, sorts of things out uh, in the Gospels. He would say to the Pharisees, look, you know, why are you getting all wrapped up about me healing somebody on Sunday? Because it doesn't match, you know, your understanding of the Sabbath. Is it not righteous to do good on the Sabbath? You have put a yoke on people's shoulders that you yourself cannot follow. In, in, in other words, what's the big deal? What are we really about here? We want to help people, do we not? We want to heal people. We want to introduce people to the love and the power of God. Why are we doing this if not that? All sorts of little interactions like that in Scripture. Uh, but it's a great phrase for me to ask myself periodically through the day, okay, why, why am I doing this exactly? What am I after here? Uh, there's always this moment that every, appropriately enough for today, that new parents have with their babies, right? You haven't slept for a week. Uh, the baby has just barfed on you again. Uh, it's 4 a.m. Don't get intimidated. It's going to be fine. Um, and you're like, you know, I can't go on. Why am I doing this? Right? Every parent gets there, right? And then, and then what do you do? Then you look at that face, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I'm doing it because it's worth doing, right? Because this is how I bless this important little life. Um, the thing that gets us through early parenthood is purpose. Otherwise, we would never go through what we go through, Right? You need to answer the question, why? Uh, here's, a, here's an analogy um, from uh, the world of sports. Imagine that you're an Olympic marathoner. Imagine you're at mile 23 of a 26.2-mile race. For some of you, that's quite an imaginative exercise, but just imagine it for a while. You know, you are tired. You are in tremendous pain. You're just putting one foot in front of the other, and then some fan from another country takes out his gum and throws it at you and hits you right in the face. Do you stop? No, you don't stop. Why? Well, because you've got more important things to do, right? If you spent any energy on that, you would just fall apart because what you're doing requires so much energy and so much focus. Now, let's say you're walking down the street to go out to eat at that restaurant in Kaimuki that we talked about earlier, and somebody throws gum in your face. What do you do? You stop. <laughs> and maybe some other behavior follows, 
after that, right? It, it draws you off purpose in, in a different way. Why? What's the difference? The difference is clarity of purpose, right? If you have a driving purpose in your life, then uncomfortable experiences just don't mean as much to you. And that's the kind of life that we want to have. We want to have a clear purpose-driven sort of life and clear purpose-driven sort of days. If I know why I'm doing it, then I don't stumble over speed bumps. Are you following me? Why am I doing this? Why are you at church today? That's actually a great question. Why did you get up and come here today? You know, what are you after? Know that. And then you're almost all the way to getting it. And it'll be much easier for people uh, to help you uh, get what you're after. Uh, know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Conversely, do not do things that uh, have no reason to them. You know, even leisure. Leisure can be very purposeful. You know, if you rest, rest. Go get it. Do it. Do it. But most of us rest in a way that's just kind of haphazard. Right? One of the first things that God taught his people was like, no, no, I mean, set aside a whole day once a week and you rest, you know, and there's a methodology to it. There are things that you are not allowed to do, people. If you're going to rest, if you're going to take it easy, take it easy with purpose. Right? Don't just sit in front of the TV because it's a nice distraction. That doesn't work. All that is is emotion management. You know what I'm saying? It's a different way to live with some discipline. And when you do that, you become a very powerful purpose. The worst job can have a good reason. Have you had a bad job? Have you ever had a job that you don't like? And if you currently have a job that you don't like? I've had some doozy jobs. You know, digging ditches? I've actually dug ditches. I've split wood. Uh, to make money. Uh, I've, I used to be a transcriber in the days before word processors uh, were on your iPhone. I'm that old. Uh, I've had some terrible jobs where people treated me really, really poorly. Um, and how, how do you handle that? Well, you have to know why you're working. You have to know why you're doing it. And if you know why you're doing it, this, this is important to me for this reason. I have to do this in order to provide for people I love. Well, that will keep me in the game for a long time if I'm clear on it. But if you're just like, this feels terrible, I'm out of here, then you won't last very long at things that are uncomfortable for you. The worst job can have a really good reason, and it enables you to push through the struggle. You following me? Conversations. Whenever I'm having a conversation with anyone, somebody's made an appointment to talk to me, or I made an appointment to talk to them, I come in with an agenda. This is what I want to accomplish in this conversation. You know, particularly if, if there's some tension between me and another person. It's like, well, this is what I want to accomplish. And, and I don't care how things feel or, you know, what rudeness happened or anything. Like that. I just need to get this thing done. All right. Number two, have routines and rituals. I talked about this that keep you on purpose. Uh, life is an exercise in setting priorities, and priorities translate into routines and rituals in your life. You all have routines and rituals. When you get up in the morning, you have a routine. You have a thing that you do. Yeah, um, even if you don't have a routine, 
you by definition have a routine. When I get up in the morning, uh, it's often a tough moment for me. I don't know how it is in your life, but I'm off, often a little bit uh, tired. And um, I almost always have an immediate feeling of overwhelmedness when I wake up in the morning. That's a very emotional moment for me. And so I usually take a, a, a few uh, deep breaths and I will put my feet on the floor. That's what I tell myself, feet on the floor. And I'll put my feet on the floor and then I will actually say to myself, often quietly and under my breath, uh, Sonia is still sleeping. Um, I will say, uh, today I'm going to kick butt and make myself proud. Stupid and simple, right? But the reason I say that is so that I don't say anything else. Because not having a routine is having a routine. If I didn't say that every day, hey, I'm going to kick butt, I'm going to make myself proud. Um, if, I don't, if I don't say that, then I'm going to think, oh, this sucks. I will. I know myself. Right? So it's really a matter of choosing routines. It's not a choice between not having a routine and having a routine. It's like, which routine are you going to have? Are you going to let your emotions define your routine, your wild, untempered emotions? Or are you going to temper your emotions and have them empower your life? What are you going to choose? What are you going to Some of you have routines for wasting time. And they are ironclad routines. They are predictable. You know, if I spied on your life, I'd be saying, oh, and this is how he's going to waste time this evening. Because it happens all the time. It's a routine. You would not call it a routine, you would call it chilling out or something like that, but it's a, it's a routine. So pick some good ones. Uh, let your routines flow from your purpose though. Routine is giving time to things in a structured and consistent way. Build them based on time, not function. That's what I have to do. I have 20 minutes today to do this. I'm gonna do it for 20 minutes. And then I'm gonna do that other thing that I have to do. And then I'll return tomorrow and I'll do 20 minutes on this thing again. That's a great way to get through life. We'll talk about that more uh, at some, uh, other, uh, some other sermon. Don't say, well, my routine is I'm going to go to the gym and get in shape. Say, I'll go to the gym every weekday at 4 p.m. for 40 minutes only. What that does is it takes the emotion out of time. You get it? You have to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're going to go about doing it. Use a tool, and routines are, are the tools. Uh, a ritual is like a routine, uh, but it doesn't necessarily happen at a specified time. Um, a ritual is a certain way uh, to approach things. You know, uh, when I have a conversation with someone and I don't want to have the conversation, it's a difficult conversation, I have a little ritual uh, that I do. You know, I say, Jordan, you're a blessing and you know what you're about. You might not think that when I end up talking to you, uh, but that's the ritual that I go through. Um, what are other ideas? you have other rituals in your life that you go through? Jesus uh, had routines and rituals. Mark chapter 1. Uh, this has to do with a routine and ritualistic way that Jesus did prayer. And we'll just end on this today. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. This was a very exciting time. It was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He had sort of burst onto the scene. He had performed some miracles. People were coming from all the villages in, in the area. And they're just mobbing him to the point where we're told he didn't even have time to sit down and eat. He became super, super popular. This was the rock star phase, the rock star beginning of Jesus' ministry. What he does is he gets up before dawn and he goes off and he prays. And the disciples come to him and they say, Hey, things are going great. Everyone is looking for you. Come on, what's going on? And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. It tells me a few different things. It says that Jesus had a routine, right? He got up before everyone else and he checked in with his heavenly father. Why did he do that? Well, according to this scripture, he did it so that he would know, he would remember what he was about. Even though he had waves of needy people coming into his life, even though everyone was appealing to him as if he were grand and great and super successful, he said, actually, my purpose requires me to keep traveling. My purpose requires me to be somewhere else, right? To sort of turn my back on popularity in order to focus on effectiveness. We could express it whole bunches of different ways. But Jesus was constantly a man on a mission and he was hyper-focused. How did he get that way? He had a routine for doing it every day. You know, he got up in the morning and he said, feet on the floor. And he said, okay, Heavenly Father, what's going on? What am I about? I don't know exactly how he processed through his prayer time with the Lord, the Heavenly Father. But his disciples watched him and they got very interested in it. Luke chapter uh, Uh, 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, like John teaches his disciples to pray. In other words, they had watched him pray enough that they figured out there's something different about what you're doing. You've got a way uh, of praying that really empowers your life. You've got a way of doing it. Okay, we want some of that. You teach us how to do that, please, because that's what a good disciple does, Jesus, in case you didn't know. And he said to them, okay, well, when you pray, say, and then this is the Luke version of the most quoted piece of scripture on earth, you know, the Lord's Prayer. The Luke version is slightly shorter than the Matthew version that often gets recited, but here it is. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation. What is that? What is that? That's a prayer ritual, is what that is. Oh, we're not supposed to prayer just to sort of pray like empty ritual. Well, it's not an empty ritual, but it's a ritual, right? Jesus said, Well, this is how you pray. He's your father, he's not some distant, angry God. Let your kingdom come, purpose first. Seek first the kingdom, and all else will be added to you. What do I have to do today to bring your kingdom order to my life and to the world? First, that's the first point, guys. Uh, Give us our daily bread. Uh, In other words, you know, God will, remember that God will provide for you, and you don't have to worry about the details, right? God is a generous father. That will free you up in your emotions, you know, stay on point. And forgive us our sins as we forgive uh, everyone who's ever sinned against us. 
okay, that's challenging, and that is probably something we need to check in on every day. Okay, who am I, who am I angry at today? <laughs> Get through that, otherwise what, it will, what will it do? Well, it will cause terrible emotions that will pull you off track all day long. So take care of that. Uh, lead us not into temptation. Look, uh, don't take the bait, as Erica said earlier. And do that as a ritual, and that will really help you move through the day uh, with power. Everybody say power. And then Jesus said to them, hey, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, <laughs> he will surely get up and give us as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, it will give him a scorpion if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's going on there? Jesus is telling you that God is good. That God is good. And that's our attitude check for the day. One of the things that really fires up our negative emotions is when we believe implicitly or explicitly, when we allow ourselves to get in this mindset that God really isn't generous with us, that, you know, life has screwed you over, you know. And when we say, ah, life has screwed me over, what we're really saying is, no, God's not really generous with me. And Jesus ends his teachings on empowering routines and rituals by saying, no, it all takes faith attitude. A faith attitude. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. If all goes well, or routines for staying on track there. Uh, all right, I asked you at the beginning of the service, who has something that you really should be doing, but you're not doing it? All right, so I'll give you 10 seconds to think of something if you didn't earlier. And it could be something super spiritual, or it could be something like, I need to do more sit-ups. I don't, I don't care at this point. Just think about something. Come up with something specific. All right, now let's just step through it, shall we? Why should you do that thing? What are you after? And why is that important to you? Write this down. What's the thing and what's the why? Why is it an important purpose for you? You have to come up with something. Now, probably you can. But if you can't, it's like, well, yeah, you know, actually, you know, be, becoming really good at vintage Donkey Kong is not <laughs> filled with purpose. Uh, and if that's the case, pick another thing. But probably you can come up with something. What's the why? All right, step number three, what's a routine that's going to help you do it? 
be as specific as you can. And routines are important. because it takes the emotional struggle of decision away. It helps us overcome the emotions that prevent us from doing what we ought. You got a routine? All right, um, what's, what's a little ritual that will help you do it well? some piece of self-talk or an attitude adjustment. When I'm going through my day and I have to make a, like a phone call, I don't want to make, I hate, I hate phones. This is a, an emotional wounding that goes back to my childhood. I just, I just do not like to talk on the phone, thank you witness out there. And so like when I have to make a phone call, I don't want to make, uh, I will often sit at my desk and, uh, and I used to be uh, involved in martial arts a lot, I will say out loud, HIT! And I'll pick up the phone. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm getting my faith on, right? Because powerful people are the people who follow through massively and consistently. And that's the attitude that it takes uh, to get through life's challenges, which most of the time means that's the attitude it takes to get through uncomfortable emotions. That's what it boils down to. I will not be emotionally overwhelmed. There's a difference between attitude and emotion. And my purpose and my routines and my attitude disciple my emotions. It makes me a healthy human being and a light uh, in the world. Amen? Little lessons about life. Uh, Father, I pray uh, that you would give us more little lessons about life. I pray that you would empower this season to be all that it should be. I pray that you would empower our lives to be what they should be. I pray, Lord, that we would be people who always do what we should do and who always know what it is that we should be doing. I pray, Father, for breakthrough today. Sometimes life breakthrough is simply breakthrough in the little things. Simply break through in addressing the elephant in the room in a powerful fashion. It's simply a breakthrough that has to do with how you get up in the morning and how you go to bed at night. These little things are often the breakthrough that we need. Amen. <laughs>